Welcome back to the In God She Trust podcast with your host, Kitri Cooper. I don't know why I just sang my name. That was kind of weird. Maybe I feel like I need my own theme song. I mean, I, I guess I technically do with the intro song. But, you know, hey, y'all, what is up? I say this every week, but I really do believe it. I hope you had a great week. I had an insane week. I was so busy. I had to do so much stuff this week, and sometimes I feel like um, when I have so much to do, I get very easily overwhelmed, and so this week was kind of a hard week for me just because of how much stuff I had to do, and I'm getting prepared to um, go on vacation to Washington to see my boyfriend, and I'm trying to get prepared and make sure I'm not you know missing anything and um, trying to get you know, the podcast stuff done and serving my church and doing my two jobs. And uh, the manager for the gym that I work at um, was on vacation in Mexico. And so I was, you know, doing some extra hours in order to kind of help fill in the time that I'm going to be gone for vacation. And so it was just, it was a lot this week, but the Lord brought me through it. Hallelujah. Um, I did cry a couple times, you know, because sometimes y'all, when when I get overwhelmed, um, all I know what to do is like, just like cry about it for a second and then get right back to it. And then, you know, my best friend was like, you also just like put too much on your plate. Um, you need to just chill. (laughs) So, um, I don't know how to chill sometimes. So it was, it was good, but you know, um, I spent some time with the Lord, uh, a lot yesterday and today, and I'm, I'm just feeling blessed so I hope you guys are feeling blessed, and I pray for y'all all the time, um, anytime, uh, you know, that I'm looking at, you know, a word that the Lord wants me to speak or whatever, I just say, you know what, Lord, just let them, let them see your love, let them see your light, and life is good, you know, regardless of how crazy life gets, God is with you always, always. Um, I was reading a lot of psalms last night and there's a person in my life who's just really gone astray from the lord and i you know i just miss this person so dearly and um so i was just using like the prayers of psalms and instead of you know saying the word me where scripture would put i would put in her name but there um i came across psalm 139 and it's just such a beautiful psalm And I just want to read it to you guys because sometimes it really feels like when life is hard or when we're facing certain trials or when we're facing certain circumstances or when we're really feeling a lot of spiritual warfare, sometimes it feels like we're going through it all alone and sometimes it feels like God isn't there or that he's not listening or you can't hear his voice or something like that. And so I was just feeling, you know, really sad last night because uh I just dearly love this person um and you know I've I think I've mentioned it before this person is my sister and I just pray for her constantly and I pray that you know that the Lord just shows up for her and just saves her and just gives her healing and peace that she that she needs in her life um but you know sometimes when God doesn't move in our certain time frame it feels like sometimes we forget that he's there or that he's faithful. So I, I finished my night reading Psalm 139, and it just blessed me in this situation that I am moving through with my sister. And I just, I feel like it's going to bless somebody else. 
And so I'm going to read it to you now, just as, um, you know, we are going to get into Romans, don't worry, but I just really feel like somebody needs this encouragement. So Psalm 139 is labeled the all-knowing, ever-present God. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, you who invoke who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I just really love this because it literally says there is absolutely no place that we can go that he will not be, especially in verse eight. If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I make my dead in shale, you are there. Shale is also known as hell or, or darkness. Um, the new living translation says, if I go down to the grave, you are there. So he is constantly with us and he knows everything. Uh, you know, when, when you sit down, when you stand up before a word is even spoken out of your mouth, he knows about it. He knows where you're going. He knows when you rest, he says, you have encircled me and you have placed your hand upon me. So don't ever think that he's, he's away from you. He is constantly with you. He is omnipresent, which means he is always everywhere at all times. And, you know, there's two different types of presence. There's his omnipresence where he is everywhere and then his manifest presence. And sometimes um, when we can't feel his manifest presence where our senses can sense that he is there, that we, d- we think he's gone. And that's not true. He is constantly there. So I just felt like somebody needed that today. Someone needed it. And so, yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. So let's get into it. Lord, I pray that the person on the other side of my voice will have an open heart and an open mind to you and that we we will absorb what you want us to know and that we, you will grow us in our knowledge and in our wisdom of you and know that 
all scripture is God breathed and that it is out of your love that you have given us scripture for rebuking and correcting and teaching and for knowledge and wisdom in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So we have gone through Romans one and through Romans two. Romans one was talking about the heathen people, right? You know, the, the unbelievers and then on how that, you know, they're, they're without excuse, even if they never walked foot in a church, they're still without excuse because it says in verses 18 through 21 in Romans one, that, um, everything in creation point points to God. And then, um, you know, it, it'd be really easy for church people to be like, yeah, you sinners. And then Paul turns his eyes to church people or to Jews. And he's like, you're literally no better, bro. You need to sit down as, you know, the prophet Kendrick Lamar would have said, sit down, be humble. Right. And so, um, these like last, these first two chapters of Romans have been like really dark. He's saying, um, you know, Non-church people are sinners and church people are sinners. No one is good enough to go to God. No one is good enough to earn salvation. Doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to be good enough. And so we're like, awesome. Thanks, Paul. You know, it just feels like this constant, just guilty verdict. And honestly, whenever I'm like reading through Romans, um, I keep (laughs) picturing Judge Judy. I don't know why. So Judge Judy... I love watching her. I love watching her videos. But there was this one, um, I can't, I could not find it. I was going to try to find it so I could, um, you know, explain it to y'all. But there was like a, you know, a, a court case that she was dealing with. And these is two plaintiffs. And um, it really seemed like this one dude had a really, really strong case. And I'm like, oh, she's totally going to award this guy. Like, he's prepared you know, this other guy seems like his, his head is in the sand. There's nothing, you know, and it just seemed like this guy, um, the, one of the plaintiffs, um, just really had a really good case against this other dude. And I swore that, you know, she would award, award the, the dude that I really thought was going to win. And then all of a sudden in the end, she like finds some like papers and then she's like, oh, no, no, no. So you're accusing him, but actually you're the one who's guilty. And then she, you know, she's like, I'm actually going to, to judge you and, and, and you get the judgment. This guy gets to get away free. Like nice try broski. And so (laughs) whenever I was reading through Psalm three, I just kept imagining like a courtroom and how, um, you know, how it seems like it's really, really bleak. And like what we, what we feel like we deserve, like, we're, you know, is death or like a condemnation or a punishment of some sort. And it probably felt like, um, you know, some dude, um, is constantly like, you're just not good enough. And like, no, you, you deserve death. You deserve death. Yada, yada. Um, this is what's going to happen. And you're like, great. I'm going to get the punishment. I'm going to get the judgment. And then at the last second, there's like a sleek, like a very slim sliver of hope that they're like, oh, wait, there's a silver lining to this. And that, I think, is exactly what Romans 3 is all about. And so um, we're just going to read through Romans 3. And um, I'm going to be, once again, reading out of the New Living Translation. And we'll just get right to it. So if you're at home and you have a Bible available to you, turn to Romans 3 with me. If you're at work or you're driving or whatever, just have the pleasure of listening 
to my amazing voice as I read this. <laughs> I'm so weird. Okay, here we go. Romans 3.1. Then what is the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Other translations have said the, the oracles of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those who, to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in his present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast, then, that we have done every, anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. 
There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. I feel like if you just like read Romans, you could totally just do an entire sermon. Actually, I listened to, oh, what is his name? Oh, what is his name? He, he spoke at Passion 2023, and he literally recited Romans 1, chapter 1, through chapter 8 by memory. Oh, David Platt. That's who it was. And I listened to it and it brought me to tears. This man's entire sermon was just reciting Romans 1 through 8 from memory. And it was a word, obviously, because it's God's word. But anyways, moving on. So Romans, like finally there's some glimmer of hope here in Romans because honestly, it just feels like the first chapter and the second chapter, Paul was just spanking everybody, right? That's the only way I can think about it. And so in chapter two, he was, he was looking at the Jews. He's like, oh, just cause you are circumcised, you think you're better than everyone. And you think that you're made right with God just because you're circumcised. Well, like, no. And so in, in the text in Romans three, at like the, the top of it, it kind of says like uh, in certain Bibles, it says um, that certain objections are coming up or um, yeah, it says like Paul answers an objection in the Christian standard Bible. So once again, Paul wasn't preaching here. He was writing a letter. So in his, in his mind, he's like, someone's definitely going to object to what I just said in chapter two. Like, well, what's the point in even being circumcised? Like, is there anything good about it? Because Paul has gone around and he's probably talked to enough Jews and enough Gentiles to know their arguments by now. And so he's like, before you even get to argue with me, I'm just going to talk to you. And before I move on any further, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. So in my research, I've been using, um, I've been using, um, the notes from my, um, my, study Bible. I've also been listening to the listener's commentary by John Whitaker. Um, one of um, my friends reached out and she's like, Hey, like I hear you're doing Romans. Um, he's, he's got some really good insights. Go and listen to like his commentary. So I listened to his commentary and learned a lot. And then I also used, um, the godref.com to do a lot of my research. I mean, of course I put my own thoughts into it, but, um, you know, you have to kind of research and make sure that you're, you're, words align with scripture and it's good, good to look at others. So a lot of my notes and stuff come from those three places. So I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. And if you want to listen to like just a good, just scriptural commentary, the listener's commentary, once again, by John Whitaker is really good. So, all right. So moving on. So Paul is like, all right, you're, I'm not even going to give you a chance to kind of object. So people were probably like, well, why then get circumcised? Like, what good is it? Like, what is as Jews, do we even get, do we even get like perks as being a Jew? Like what good is it? And Paul's like, yeah, like there's definitely some good to it. Don't get me wrong. And he said, literally, you got the oracles of God. 
or you got like God's word. So they were given the very oracles of God, which is in, um, you can look that up in Exodus 19, Exodus 20, and then in Deuteronomy 4, 8. So it has a very big advantage because the Jews were literally God's chosen people. So they were literally given the the very words of God in the New Living Translation, like what from what I just read, it says, first they were entrusted with the very words of God. And then the second like big perk or like massive brownie points to the Jews is Jesus, the Messiah, came from the Jews. His line was from the Jews. Jesus himself was a Jew. So Paul's like, yeah, there's definite perks from it. God literally revealed himself to them and gave him his very words and promises. They saw his miracles and his faithfulness through the parting of the Red Sea, uh, manna falling from the sky, the promised land, women having babies when they're supposed to be old and crusty. No offense to any older ladies, but you know what I mean? Like Sarah was like in her nineties, right? That should not have happened. You know, uh, prophecies of great men like Isaiah, you know, coming, coming to, to fruition and getting to be along all of these great leaders and the, the wall of Jericho falling and the wars that they won, that they should not have won, but they won because God was on their side, a virgin getting pregnant and finally having the coming of the Messiah who died and rose from the grave. He entrusted all of that through the Jews because they were his chosen people. And so it's saying, he's saying here, like, God is true. Like God gave you a lot because you just are Jew by birth. And then moving on, it's kind of, you know, saying, you know, what then if some were unfaithful in their unfaithfulness, will they nullify God's faithfulness? He says, absolutely not. Let God be true. And so God is true. God is justified. He is righteous. He kept his promises and he stayed true to that. Even when his own chosen people turned their backs on him and became part of the problem. So Israel was notoriously unfaithful to God. I mean, if you've just cracked the Bible in the Old Testament, the Israel or the Jews, God's chosen people, were notoriously unfaithful to God. In certain parts of scripture, he actually calls them adulterers or adulterous women because, um, for example, he brought them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Just for like a few years later, they're bowing down to like, Baal. So I've, I've personally in my own, you know, Bible scriptures been reading through, um, judges and then been reading through Joshua and they're literally like bowing down to other, um, other idols, other gods, stuff like that. And so God's like, you're committing adultery on me because I have literally done this for you and you're turning your back and you're worshiping some other God. And so, um, you know, they were just like, so just because we're unfaithful, does that mean that God's not going to be faithful? And he's like, no, absolutely not. You were given the or- oracles of God and you still failed and you still sinned. But because they were not faithful does not mean that God will not be open to them. And it's, it's not like, oh, well, it sucks to suck type situation. You know what I mean? No, God is still going to keep his promises because he is faithful and he is perfect. 
If God was a God that worked based on conditions, he wouldn't be merciful, he wouldn't be good, and he wouldn't be kind. He'd be manipulative. He'd be like, well, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's not how he works. Once again, he won't turn a blind eye to sin, but he's still going to be kind and faithful because he is perfect. So when he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. And I kind of hit on this last week that whenever you see the word will in your Bible, circle that because that is a promise that he has made and is going to fulfill or already has fulfilled. Um, verse five, you know, kind of goes on then to ask, you know, in to Paul's imaginary arguer here that God must be unmerciful and wrong to punish us since he knows we can't be perfect and that we're going to be sin. And Paul states that he's making a human argument or, you know, kind of coming from a, a, a human perspective. And then soon we'll see that he responds with a no, that he is not cruel to inflict judgment on us and that he is still correct in doing so. He's just in his judgment and holding people accountable. We cannot be so arrogant or ignorant to say, well, God is love, so he will overlook my sin. Or um, it's job, God's job to forgive sin, so um, all sin, so he can show his forgiveness. Um, or I've heard this, oh, well, we need to stay um, up to date in culture today. Like, nah, fam. Like, we're, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. And there's multiple times through Romans and Hebrews that Paul makes this claim like, oh, just because we have the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, does that mean we get to keep on sinning? Paul's like, absolutely not. That's not what that's talking about. And here, he literally says like, if in verses like seven and eight, that people who want to do wrong to quote unquote, give God the opportunity to show his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his forgiveness. He's like, if you're crazy enough to say that, you deserve God's judgment. And Paul's like, Paul is saying, if God was unrighteous or unjust, he couldn't judge the world. But he still can because he is a perfect judge. He is perfect and he has never failed, which means he is righteous and a good judge. And so he's pretty much saying, like, if you're stupid enough to say, oh, well, I'm just going to sin so I can give God the opportunity. It's like Paul's, Paul's way of saying, play stupid games and you'll win stupid prizes. In verse 7 and 8, <laughs> it literally says... Um, their condemnation is deserved. And that's out of the Christian standard Bible. He's like, you literally deserve what, you know, what you say. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. And so here he's saying all people are equally disadvantaged before God and we all deserve his judgment. Thanks, Paul. Like, it's so dark and so bleak, I feel like still. He's just like, no, he's like, you're all sinners. There's still nothing you can do. There's no work that you can do. There's no prayer you can say. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation, period. So we're like, awesome, thanks, Paul. So it's kind of just like, well, what's the point of even following God? Like, if, I can't, if I can't do anything about it, like, what's the point? I'm kind of like that person sometimes. I'm like, well, if there's no point in doing it, why do it? But then we're moving on into verses 9 through 20 is going to be like kind of like my next little segment here. 
Um, and then he's saying, well, then should we conclude that Jews are better than others? You know, because he just got done saying, hey, like Jesus came from the line of Jews. You got the very oracles of God. And so, you know, it, he was like probably still thinking in his brain that he's like still arguing with someone. That someone's like, oh, well, then Jews must be better than everyone else. And he's like, nope, not at all. He says, for we have already shown that all other people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. He's like, yeah, you're not better than anyone. So in, in, in chapter two, he was saying like your circumcision and your law doesn't make you right in God's eyes. And just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you are better than a Gentile. He's just, he's just squashing any dream that the, the Jews have of like religious pride pretty much or just pride is like who they were born into or what they were born into. He's just literally blowing out their candle. He's popping their bubble. He's not giving them an inch to run with, right? He's like, I don't want to give you an inch and then allow you to take 10 miles. So he's just squashing their dreams right now. Um, so, but what, what he's saying is we are liable to punishment. Jews are not better than others. You know, verse one, um, says, you know, there is an advantage to being a Jew. And now he's saying that they're just not better than Gentiles. He's making it very clear that even though there are some awesome advantages to being a Jew, that they are not better or higher above anyone else. He's just, he, he ain't doing it. All people are under sin. So there is not one person who is better than the other. And he's saying no one is righteous by his own merit by his own works, by his own will, no one is righteous. So he uses Old Testament scriptures to them, or I would almost say against them, so that the Jews can't argue that they are better and that Jews are, are you know, just as sinful. Um, we, you know, in verses 10 through 18, he uses all Old Testament scripture. So I'm just going to really quick go back and read through read through these. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Thanks, Paul. This sounds so much fun. Verse 13, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Okay, so in these verses, let's kind of break down and look at what Old Testament verses um, there are. So... He used Psalm 14, 1 through 3, saying all people are born sinful. I mean, we don't have to teach our kids to be sinful. We have to train them to be good. Um, so in here, it, none is repeated one, two, three, like four times. There is none righteous, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. Now I'm reading from um, New King James Version. Um, there is none who does good, not even one. So he's making it ultimately clear. No one, not one, 
And then um, it goes on to sit in like Psalms five through nine, where it's talking about like the throat and the open grave. He's saying like, you're, you, you're constantly lying. You're lying. You're not doing it. You, you know, your mouth is, is not, um, innocent so in the in these er, in the for oh my gosh if I could find my words 11 through 12 he uses psalm 14 1 through 3 psalm 53 1 through 3 and then ecclesiastes 7 20 um is where it's talking about their throat is an open tomb with their tongues they have practiced deceit so he's saying you're lying you're liars your mouth lies then where it says the poison is on their lips. That is Psalm 140, verse 3, where he's now condemning the tongue. They speak poison, toxic words. And then where it says, um, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, that is Psalm 10, 7. So now he's condemning the lips for cursing and bitterness. <clears throat> and then as it goes to in verse 15 says they rush to commit murder and in my new king james version it says their feet are swift to shed blood and so now he's condemning the feet where he's saying you know you just want to commit violence you want to commit murder like you're quick to do so then in verse 16 it says destruction and misery always follow them they don't know where to find peace they have no fear of god at all so here he's condemning the eyes and um, where it says they don't know if they, they can't find peace. That's Isaiah 59, 7 and 8. And then um, where it says they have no fear of God in their eyes, um, that, that is from Psalm 36, 1. And so ultimately what he's getting at here is your whole body, your entire being is guilty, you know. Uh, Psalm 14, one through three, your body, then, you know, in Ecclesiastes, um, your mouth, then Psalm 5, 9, you're lying, Psalm 143, your, you know, your tongues, Psalm 10, 7, your lips, Isaiah 59, 7 and 8, your feet, you know, Psalm 36, 1, your eyes, he's literally saying your entire being is guilty. Your tongue, your lips, your feet, your eyes, your whole body, your mouth. And so what he did here is all of this came from the Old Testament, so he's usually he's really targeting the Jews because he is taking their very words or the oracles of God that God gave them, and it shows that um, either you know Jews or all people, the entire body, all the whole person, is guilty. So he's making it very sin- very clear that all are sinners, both Jew and Gentile. The law cannot make every person sinless. Scriptures are so clear that we cannot defend ourselves and we really can't say anyone where it says, you know, no one is justified. And justified just means to bit, to put you in a, rela- a right re- relationship with God. When you are justified, you are under his covenant. The law was made because man was sinful and had knowledge of the law. So he's saying in God's eyes, we can never be made right and justified by the law because the law only highlights our own sin. And that literally, that's what it says in Romans 3.20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful 
we are. So he's like, just because you follow the law, cool. It just is showing you that you're sinful, that you can't obey the law to a perfect letter. You can't do it good enough. You can't do it to a T that's going to make you justified with God. And um, justification was like a big thing that um, John Whitaker hit on. And so ultimately it's God's act of declaring us not guilty for our sins. So kind of like when I was talking about like Judge Judy, you know, when like what when it looked like this dude was going to be guilty and was going to have to pay the penalty, Judge Judy was like, actually, you're you're free to go. And so that's kind of what justification means. And Paul is hammering in the wrong and sinful here. So he so it can really feel heavy and like, you know, like what I said earlier, what's the point? to this whole God thing. Paul is really beating a dead horse with this whole, you are not good and you are a sinner point here. I mean, if he's like, if it hasn't gotten through your thick skull now, I don't know what else to tell you. And so it's kind of like, okay, well then what's the point? And then Paul comes in with the thickest and most important silver lining ever. And it comes in the form of Two words, but now, meaning now, today, this second, everything can be different for you, but now, those two words change everything. It changes how we see things. It changes how we can view ourselves. It changes how we can view God. It changes our, our, our way of, of how we can view relationship with him. It can change the way we view church. It can change the way we view church people. But now those two tiny words, those six letters, but now give us the most beautiful silver lining there possibly is. But now everything can be different. The old law was not going to work. So we now get a new quote unquote law. God knew we couldn't justify ourselves. So he gave us our justification. He gave us Jesus, the perfect lamb, the perfect son of God to take our place so we can be justified, so we can be declared not guilty and made righteous. Even though we are guilty, he points to you and says, innocent, not guilty, because Jesus took your place on the cross. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He took my place. And through him, we are considered innocent in the eyes of God. Absolutely innocent. It says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. That's in the New Living Translation. It's beautiful because everyone gets it. Through 
And in the Christian Standard Bible, I really like this, how it says in verse 22, it says, to all who believe since there is no distinction. There is no distinction, which means every man, every woman, every slave, every free man, every child, every Jew, every Greek or Gentile could come to God through Jesus. God is saying, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what much money you have. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what it is that you are. You get to come to me through the blood and faith in Jesus. Jesus took our place on the cross. So now when God sees us, he sees Jesus and his mercy, his perfection, and his holiness. And then we get to verse 23, which is a very, very famous verse. For all have sinned. So Paul's reiterating that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's once again saying, everyone is in the same boat. And then in verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption in Jesus Christ. So that's the beautiful thing about salvation is that it's free. You don't have to work for your salvation. He has given it as a gift because he is merciful and gracious. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Grace is, is he's not giving us what we do deserve. And glory just means manifested majesty. So when it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's saying for all have sinned and fallen short of God's manifested majesty. But we are, we are, we are considered innocent freely by the grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. God knew we needed a better and a perfect plan for us to be justified since we could not do it on our own. God does not just give justification. He is justification. He cannot just give righteousness. He is righteousness. You can't give what you don't have. But since he is the very essence of justice and righteousness, since he is justice and he is righteousness, since it comes from him, he can freely give it. Christ has redeemed us through his blood and his sacrifice on the cross. What he endured on that cross was horrible and known as one of the most torturous and painful deaths in history. He was faithful himself that he knew what he was doing when he gave himself. He was faithful to God in doing what he did. So even Jesus had faithful obedience to God. Because this is for 
everybody who believes. Jesus was the only one who followed the law perfectly, which is why he is the only one who is able to justify us and to make us righteous and to make us holy because he is the only one that followed the law to the letter. And where it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's in present tense, making it known we have not sinned in the past, but we still do now. So in order to be in glory with God or to be justified in God, we have to be sinless. But Paul said, you know, Paul made it very clear that we can't be sinless on our own. But if we believe in Christ and have faith in him, we are made sinless in the eyes of God because Jesus took our guilty verdict And he has given us his innocent verdict and said, Jesus was the innocent one. But he said to judge Judy, to judge God, you know what? They are guilty, but whatever you would proclaim me as is innocent, give to them. And whatever guilty verdict you're going to give to them, give to me and I will pay the price. I will do the jail time. I will die for them. I will do whatever penalty you were going to give them. Because once again, God cannot turn a blind eye to our wrong deeds. If God could turn a blind eye to our wrong deeds, he wouldn't be just. He can't turn a blind eye. It says in verse 25 that God gave us Jesus as a gift, free, as a sacrifice to show his mercy and righteousness. And then God passed over the previous sins of the past. So when you accept Christ, when you come into faith with Christ and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, every sin that you committed up until this point is erased and forgotten. It says that as far as the east is from the west, your sins are forgotten. that he throws them into a lake of forgiveness. That's Psalms 103.12. As far as the east is from the west so far, he has removed our transgressions from us. But it is through our faith, belief, and obedience to Jesus Christ. Much like the sacrifices Jews gave God from animals in the Old Testament, it meant that the blood of that animal covered all of their previous sins, and they would now walk forward, quote-unquote, sinless. And this is what Christ did once and for all. Redemption meant bringing freedom back, and, and especially for a slave, and that was a big thing. It meant bringing freedom back even for a slave. So Jesus took us out of our bondage and slavery to sin and made us free. The Bible says that the worst kind of slavery is slavery to sin. So Jesus is our justifier. Hallelujah. He is our justifier. Like, finally, thank you, Paul. Some good news. 
And Jesus is the good news. That's what the gospel means. Gospel means good news. And here, God is just because sin was not looked over and turned a blind eye to. He dealt with our sins by giving them to Jesus. So God's wrath and punishment that we deserve is poured out. But now his mercy is crazy. And his mercy is just shown in leaps and bounds by him making us free and not punishing us. Our punishment has been taken care of. God upholds his word by saying he can't turn a blind eye to sin and punishing sin, but it also upholds his word in saying that he is merciful. God literally says, I can't turn a blind eye into sin and I will pour out my wrath on sin. And so here he upholds his word. But then he also upholds his word in saying that he is merciful and kind and forgiving. And then looking into the last little bit here, verses 27 through 31. They're saying, okay, well then, do we get to boast about it? You know, where then is boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of the law? By one of works? And he's like, no, by faith. So we can't boast in the old law now. We can't put our feet and plant our feet in the old law. We can't boast about our religious acts. There are even some religions that think there are certain things that you can do or say to make you right with God again or to forgive you of sins. Um, for example, and if you are part of this religion, just hear me out, okay? For example, Catholics have us, you know, with saying like a certain amount of like Hail Marys or the Lord's Prayer after they go to confessional, they have to say like a certain number of Hail Marys or whatever and, you know, but th- those works don't do anything. It, that Saying those prayers over and over again doesn't give you forgiveness with God. He's already given it freely. Our salvation now comes from the law of faith. So Paul is making a point that Jesus is the reason that we are saved, and we don't get to take credit for any of it. We are made right through faith in what he did for us. No one, ate, no one is able to work our way to salvation, which is what he says in... Um, Romans 3.10. So he keeps really driving this point home. God gave us a way to become righteous and justified. And the only way is through Jesus. Point blank period. There is nothing else. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus literally said, the only way to the Father is through me. Jesus is the only way to come to God and to be made right with him. And it's free. I mean, as, as humans, and I think as just like Americans, but just as humans, we love free stuff. And we don't, and you, you, know, you know, like when you ever get like free, like, like little samples or something, you know, you just get a little sample and you just get to try it out and it's free, but then you have to go buy the thing. No, Jesus is the whole product for free. Not a sample. And then you have to buy some of it later or do something later in order to get the whole thing. He is the entire product given to you freely. And it's not a cheap product. It is, pro- it is the best product. You know, I'm just, I'm just thinking like in terms of just consumerism, but like he is the best thing that you could have possibly ever get in your lifetime, better than a mansion, better than money, and he gives it freely. 
God is the God of all people and wants all people to come to him in love through their own choices. He can and will let us do whatever we want in sin. We kind of saw that in chapter one where it says like he gave them over to their sins, but he also gives us a choice to choose him and he has has his arms wide open to any that will receive him as a free gift. God is the one and only God and Gentiles back then worshiped many gods and so he is making a point in these verses that God is the only God that you will stand before to give an account for your life. God will justify both the circumcised and the uncircumcised through Jesus, both the Jew and the Gentile. He will he he will make us justified through Jesus only and we will all be upheld to the same standard. And so once again, Paul is like, you know, having his imaginary argument here before Paul can even allow anyone to say, well, I guess we'll just throw away the entire law and start from square one, right? He's like, no. Many people today um, even think that, you know, we don't have to obey the laws from the Old Testament. And some people only just read the New Testament and think the Old Testament has like no purpose anymore, which could not be the furthest thing from the truth. Um, you know, because they're like, oh, well, the Old Testament was done away with, the Old Law was done away with, we don't have to, to you know, to do anything because it's, it's canceled now. Christ does not nullify or erase the law. It upholds the law, and, esta- and he actually establishes the law because he literally says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he's saying, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm fulfilling it. These are God's promises and prophecies, and I'm literally fulfilling it. But faith was included in the old law as well. Like if you look at Noah, he had to have faith to build a boat and it had not rained like in forever. Like there was no rain and then all of a sudden he's like building the boat. And then Abraham, I mean, just look at Abraham. God chose him and, you know, gave him a promise and, you know, that, hey, you're, you're going to have you know, the stars are going to, you know, your, your children are going to outnumber the stars in the sky, but like, oh, kill your son, but oh, just kidding, don't kill your son, I'm just checking where your heart is, and like the faith that these people had to have. Faith does not wipe out the Old Testament laws. We need the law and faith. Paul is saying we can't get faith only through the law, but he's saying that the, the law is not erased because of faith. There is something new, and we are only made that way through Jesus. Jews couldn't put the wrong priority over everything else. But what does it look like to have the law and faith? How do you blend Jesus and his grace and the law? How, you know, or how do people say, how do you blend faith and works? How do we use both the Old Testament and the New Testament together? How do we do that? Well, that's going to be answered in chapter four. <laughs> I, you know, slight, slight cliffhanger there, you know, slight cliffhanger. And so that's where we're going to end for chapter three, y'all. When it looked dark and bleak, Paul gave us a beautiful, beautiful glimmer of hope. And not even just a glimmer of hope, just hope. That we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. Our religious works, our religious acts, 
without faith in Jesus mean nothing. We need Jesus, and he gives salvation and grace freely. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go to church a certain number of times. I mean, still go to church, but you know what I mean? Just like just going to church and just sitting in the pew or sitting in the seats doesn't mean we're saved. But we are, and we accept Jesus' grace and salvation and his justification that he freely gives us. I love y'all. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in every week. Um, if uh, you want to help support this ministry, I'll have some links to our cash app, um, uh, you know, in the in the show notes. But um, our cash app is um, in God She Trusts Ministries. If you wanna, you know, if you wanna bless us, you you're more than welcome to do so. Um, I just do this as you know a gift to y'all. You know, I do all the research and the recording and the editing and stuff because this is something that I feel God has called me to do and I'm going to do it in obedience. But if you want to support the ministry, um, it would be, you know, much appreciated, but I'm still going to do this regardless if anyone listens or not. If anyone, you know, blesses us with money or whatever or not, I'm still going to do it because I love my Lord and I love God and I'm, I, I love you guys and I want to, have us build relationships stronger with God. Because remember, our word of the year is closeness. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8, that is our verse of the year. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that and that we only draw near to God by being in relationship with him. So I love y'all so much. Um, I hope you have a great week, and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.